0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist. Our top stories Russian forces pounded Lysychansk, the last Ukrainian holdout in the eastern region of Luhansk. The local governor said that the Russians were attacking with, quote, all available kinds of weapons. Earlier on Saturday, large explosions were reported in Mykolaiv, a city in southern Ukraine that has been under Russian fire for several days. President Joe Biden promised that the federal government would protect women traveling for abortions, whom he predicted some states would try to arrest. In June, the Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to abortion. Since then, seven states have outlawed abortions though federal judges in Kentucky, Louisiana, and Utah have temporarily blocked the bans. On Friday, Texas's Supreme Court overturned a lower court ruling that had frozen the ban. Almost 2.5 million passengers passed through American airports on Friday, 13% more than a year ago when COVID-19 restrictions remained in many states. Airlines, beset by staffing shortages, are struggling with the 4th of July holiday weekend. More than 1,100 flights have been cancelled since Friday, and more than 11,000 delayed. Separately, Ryanair cabin crew in Spain will strike for 12 days this month, adding to disruption in Europe. Tesla, Elon Musk's electric car company, delivered 254,695 cars in the second quarter of the year, 18% fewer than in the previous one. The firm blamed supply chain problems and a temporary shutdown of its factory in Shanghai due to COVID-19 lockdowns. At least 30 Nigerian soldiers were killed when gunmen attacked a mine in Shiroro, in the country's center. The ambush took place on Wednesday, but the casualties have only recently been confirmed, according to Reuters. Authorities have not named the attackers, but Boko Haram, a violent jihadist group, is active in the area. Legislators in New York passed a law banning guns in many public places in the state, including on public transport and in parks and hospitals. Those applying for a gun license must also undertake training and declare their social media accounts for review. The law is an attempt to mitigate a recent decision by America's Supreme Court to strike down a New York law restricting who can carry a concealed firearm. Protesters stormed Libya's parliament building in Tobruk, a city in the east of the country, and rallies were held in several other cities, including Tripoli, the capital. They are demonstrating against political deadlock and worsening living conditions, including power cuts and rapidly rising prices. The unrest came one day after UN-backed talks in Geneva failed to establish a path towards elections. Word of the Week Malos Pasos Wrong Path in Spanish At least 100,000 people are missing in Mexico. Victims are often dismissed as having taken the wrong path and their disappearances ignored by officials. And readers of The World in Brief may have noticed its absence from the app and website on Friday evening and Saturday morning. This was because of a technical problem that has now been resolved. Sorry. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Independence Day, the Belarusian Way Belarus became an independent country after the collapse of the Soviet Union on August 25, 1991. Yet its official Independence Day is celebrated on July 3. That marks instead the liberation of Minsk, the capital, from Nazi occupation by the Soviets in 1944. The official holiday suits President Alexander Lukashenko, who, in lamenting the collapse of the Soviet Union, sometimes sounds like his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. Given Mr. Putin's patronage of the Lukashenko regime, observers may ponder whether Belarus is really independent at all. Mr. Lukashenko's championing of his country's Soviet past presents a potential flashpoint for anti-government protests. Opposition groups prefer to celebrate Belarusian sovereignty on March 25th, or Freedom Day. That date marks the establishment in 1918 of the Belarusian People's Republic, a short-lived, independent state that was snuffed out by Soviet forces. But any demonstrations on Sunday's official holiday will draw a forceful response. Mosquitoes can smell your sickness The members of the Aedes genus are nasty critters. They are the vector by which Zika and dengue, two sometimes fatal viruses, spread, as mosquitoes bite the infected and transmit the viruses to new victims. This process, though, does not appear to be random. Research led by scientists at Tsinghua University and just published in Cell suggests that mosquitoes actively target mice infected with the viruses. That seems to be down to the canny viruses which want to spread as much as possible. To this end, just as flowers produce nectar to lure honeybees, dengue and Zika reprogram their hosts' skin cells to produce more of a chemical called acetophenone. It is catnip for mozzies. When it is applied to human hands, they come swarming. The scientists want to edit mosquitoes' genes so that they cannot smell their favorite aroma. In the meantime, a commercial acne treatment will mask it. But if you are in tropical climes and find yourself a magnet for mosquitoes, it may already be too late. Africa Fashion Comes to London For African designers in the second half of the last century, rejecting imported European fabrics in favor of local materials was a way to celebrate their independence from colonialism. Africa Fashion, an exhibition tracing the continent's style up to the present day, opened this weekend at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. Among those featured is Shade Thomas Fahm, who in 1960 opened Nigeria's first fashion boutique and was a figurehead for what became known as the African Renaissance. Fine examples from contemporary designers such as Nkwo Onwuka's distinctive hand-dyed denim are on display, too. In some ways, the exhibition could and should have happened years ago. A formalized fashion scene has existed in Africa for decades. But there is something uniquely exciting happening now. Africa is the youngest continent in the world, and its youthfulness has spurred an outpouring of creativity which echoes the independence years. Some are calling it the, quote, New African Renaissance. This exhibition makes a compelling case for the label. South Africa's Gloomy Evenings South Africans' evening routines are dictated by ESCOM, their national utilities company. A Byzantine timetable of localized blackouts, known as, load-shedding, can mean hours without power. The latest round is due to last until at least Sunday. Load-shedding is not new, but this year there will be more of it than ever. The Troubles have their roots in the transition from apartheid. South Africa's power grid was designed to serve the white minority. After the first democratic elections in 1994, the new African National Congress government connected black areas to the grid, but successive governments failed to invest enough to meet that new demand. Today's problems are exacerbated by a strike of ESCOM workers, but corruption and incompetence deserve more blame. Power stations providing 40% of capacity are broken, and ESCOM's monopoly means little pressure to improve. Yet voters are fed up and may punish the ANC for the blackouts at the next election, even if they must do so by candlelight. Weekend Profile Bongbong Marcos, the Philippines' new president Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. and his wife Lisa Araneta Marcos love Marvel movies. One day, late last year, they were watching Ant-Man, a film about a superhero who can manipulate his size, when he turned to her and said, "Okay, we're going to do this. Do what? Mrs. Araneta Marcos asked. Run for the presidency, replied Mr. Marcos, who is universally known as Bongbong. On June 30th, he was inaugurated as president of the Philippines and soon after arrived at Malahanyang Palace, his official residence for the next six years. For Bongbong, aged 64, it was a homecoming. He first moved into Malacanang in 1965 as a 7-year-old, when his father, Ferdinand Marcos, became president. They stayed until 1968, when Marcos Sr., who declared martial law in 1972 and whose reign descended into a brutal kleptocratic dictatorship, was forced into exile by a popular, peaceful revolution. The Marcoses are thought to have plundered billions of state money while in power. It has been said they took millions of dollars of cash, gold bars, and jewelry with them when they fled. Looking back, Bongbong Bong remembers those years fondly. Quote, you were a little spoiled, especially as a kid. You were very well attended to. You were very well cared for, he told CNN Philippines in April. Marcos Sr. died in 1989, and the family was allowed to return to the Philippines in 1991. Imelda, Bongbong's mother, immediately set about trying to rehabilitate the family name. She ran for the presidency and lost badly. But Bongbong won a seat in the House of Representatives from the Marcos' traditional stronghold of Ilocos Norte in the north of the country. He has served as a congressman, senator, or governor for most of the past 30 years. In 2016, he ran for a vice presidency, but lost narrowly. On May 9th, he trounced his closest rival for the presidency. With 59% of the vote, he has the strongest mandate of any president since his father. The victory probably means less to Mr. Marcos, who observers and friends describe as, quote, laid back, than it does to his mother. Imelda, now 92, never accepted that Filipinos had turned against her family or admitted any wrongdoing. Indeed, none of the Marcoses has ever apologized for the cruelty or plunder of the dictatorship. With Bongbong back in Malahangyang, she will stand vindicated. As for Bongbong himself, he could not resist using his inauguration speech to praise his father's rule. He got things done, Bongbong said, quote, so will it be with his son. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Jinhong Park, Suwon, South Korea. North America, Umesh Balasubramaniam, San Diego, United States. Central and South America, Hines Sanchez, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Serban Ionescu, Bucharest, Romania. Africa, Hassan Aloui, Rabat, Morocco. Oceana, Ewan Mackenzie Bowie, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Carol Mosley-Braun, Oliver Hardy, In the Bleak Midwinter, The Times, and Mutual Funds. The theme is Charles Dickens' novels, A Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, Bleak House, Hard Times, and Our Mutual Friend. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Vyslava Zimborska. Any knowledge that doesn't lead to new questions quickly dies out. It fails to maintain the temperature required for sustaining life. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app.